This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. And do we have some stuff to talk about today? Yeah, probably. Probably. What a weekend in terms of mixed martial arts and all of the different stories. It's like a soap opera this week. There's so much to discuss. And we will recap UFC 282, Bellator 289, and preview UFC Fight Night, Cannoneer versus Strickland, and talk about last week in Las Vegas. I was there, of course, to cover UFC 282, and also I was nominated for Journalist of the Year at the World MMA Awards, and I want to thank everybody who voted for me. I want to thank Fighters Only for nominating me and for hosting a beautiful event like they do each and every year. This was actually the first time I had sat inside the venue. Usually I would go, I'd cover the red carpet, and then I'd you know, have to edit my interviews, upload them, etc. I never really got to sit and just enjoy these ceremonies. And because the UFC press conference was so close in proximity, uh, in terms of time, to the award show, I was running behind. I got there right when the show started, pretty much. I didn't get a chance to interview anybody in the red carpet. I didn't get a chance to walk the red carpet uh, as a nominee. So... I did the UFC press conference, uh, sorry, the UFC weigh-ins, rather, ceremonial weigh-ins, did my interviews, that ended, went back to my hotel room, put my stuff away, got in the car, headed over to the award show, made it there just in time for it to start, so all in all, really fun night, I got to see a lot of my colleagues, I got to see every other nominee for Journalist of the, of the Year that night, I got to see, of course, the winner, Ariel Hawani, 13 straight years for him, I got to see John Morgan and his uh, lovely wife, Daniela, I got to see Mike Bonn. I got to see Sean Alshaddy. It was a wonderful night. Wonderful, wonderful night. So um, then I got to enjoy some Korean barbecue with uh, Sean Alshaddy and, and Jose Youngs. And I uh, got terrible meat sweats and had trouble sleeping because I ate so much steak uh, at the Korean barbecue place. It's called Huaro. If you're ever in Las Vegas, Huaro is the place to go. You go off the strip. That's the way to do it in Las Vegas. If you go there as many times as I do to cover these events... You know, the the, uh, the the hacks for Las Vegas. So, be that as it may. Wonderful night. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed uh, a very, very rewarding week in Las Vegas from a professional standpoint. And uh, just to be nominated alongside those guys was a real honor. So, that was wonderful. So, now let's get to the event itself. UFC 282. Because this event seemingly was marred in controversy. So, in order to do justice to recapping UFC 282, I sat down and rewatched. Both the main event, Jan Blachowicz and Magomed Ankalaev, and Paddy Pimblett and Jared Gordon, the co-main event, right before recording this. So it's all fresh in my head, and I can go through this. And the problem with watching these events from the backstage area is that they bring people who have won their fights for me to be interviewed at whatever time they are available. So, for example, during the main event, I had to miss part of it because I have to interview people. So I missed a chunk of the first round. And then I missed basically rounds four and five and half of round three. So I barely got to watch it live. So I had to go back and rewatch it to see what my impression was of the, uh, the split draw. Because it's an interesting scorecard. So let's break it down. If you have uh, not watched the card, you will be very, very surprised to know that we still have no light heavyweight champion. Jan Vlahovic and Magomed Ankalaev fight to a split draw, 48-47, Vlahovic, 48-46, and Kalaev, 47-47 draw. And it's a split draw, which is a very unique card. I don't know if we've had a split draw for a title fight before in UFC history. I'd have to go back and look that up. I know we've had draws, but I don't know about split draws. 
Either way, uh, not the result that I'm sure either of these fighters were hoping for or that the UFC was hoping for. And, you know, Dana White was saying he thought this was a really boring fight. And going back and watching it, I would say comparative to the rest of the card, you could say it was a boring fight. But overall, it wasn't a very boring fight. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff. I thought that there was a good enough narrative to talk about with Jan Blachowicz, you know, taking the legs out from underneath Ankalaev, only for him to pivot to his wrestling in rounds four and five and win those two rounds handily. So let's talk about this fight before we get to the co-main event, which had uh, no shortage of controversy as well. So Blahovic, Ankalaev. I just watched this. Let's go round by round. The first round. Personally, I thought this was an Ankalaev round. And if I'm not mistaken, I think all three judges gave this round to Blahovic. I'm just going to go check. I'm going to pull up the scorecard here. Blahovic, Ankalaev scorecard. I just want to make sure I have this accurate so that when I discuss it, um, it is, of course, accurate. Yeah, so all three judges gave it to Blahovic. So my thought on that is perhaps some of the strikes that Blahovic landed, the impact was heard from those sitting cage side, whereas the strikes that Ankalaev landed, maybe they weren't as impactful based on what the judges were seeing there. So I thought that was a uh, was an Ankalaev round, to be honest, from, from my vantage point watching on TV. And it seemed like that was kind of the majority because when you looked at the screen and you saw those Twitter, you know, the people's tweets, it seemed like everybody thought Ankalaev won that round. But all three judges had it for Blahovic. And I'm not going to call that a bad scorecard. I just don't know. They might have heard the strikes differently than we did on the broadcast. If all three of them agree that it's a Blahovic round, then maybe it's a Blahovic round. I, for me, I saw it for Ankalaev by a very, very, very slim margin. So I'm not going to argue that one either way. Second round, clear Blahovic round. All three judges have it for Blahovic. The third round, Derek Cleary gives to Ankalaev. Other two gave it to Blahovic. I gave it to Blahovic as well. I thought Blahovic continued to target the leg. That was doing the most damage of anything in that round. And I, uh, I gave Blahovic that round. So at this stage, we have Mike Bell with a 30-27 card for Blahovic. We have Derek Cleary with a 29-28 card for Blahovic. And we have Sal D'Amato with a 30-27 card for Blahovic. So, let's go to round four. Ankalaev gets a takedown, controls most of the round, not a ton of damage, um, at least not enough that would you know, have me consider a 10-8 for that round. None of the judges gave it a 10-8, but all three, of course, gave it to Ankalaev. I don't believe that Blahovic landed a single strike in that round, if I'm not, like a single significant strike in that round, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to go and look at the official stats, but... Um, which I'll go do right now. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think that Blah- that Ankalaev clean sheeted Blahovic in the third and f- in the fourth and fifth. Let's take a look. Sorry, one significant strike landed for Blahovic in round four, and then in the fifth round, Ankalaev outlands him in significant strikes, eighteen to nothing. So this is the interesting round for me, because watching it back, I think it's borderline ten eight, but I, I wouldn't definitively call it a ten eight. I think that. Obviously, if you're looking at the 3Ds, you got your your duration, dominance, damage. The duration is 100% there. Well, he, I mean, he had something like probably 4 minutes and 50 seconds of control. So that's definitely there. The definition of dominance is actively pursuing a finish. And I don't know if you can give that to Ankalaev. Like There was a, a sequence where he was landing a lot of big strikes. But you don't hear Mark Goddard say, defend yourself, Jan. Jan's defending himself. That's pretty clear. And then in terms of damage, I mean, you, you see Jan Blachowicz's forehead after the fight, and it's, it's kind of bruised and banged up. So there is some damage there for sure. 
that one teeters on 10-8 for me. Uh, two of the judges, I believe, had it uh, as a 10-8. You had Derek Cleary as a 10-8, and you had Sal D'Amato as a 10-8. Mike Bell, 10-9. So Bell gives the fight 48-47 to, Bo- to Blahovich. Cleary has a 48-46 for Ankalaev because he gave Ankalaev the third round and the 10-8. And then you have Sal D'Amato with the draw. If I were to assess it, I think draw is a good scorecard. I would say 48-47, Ankalaev would be the scorecard, but th- that's not nobody had it scored that way because I, I would have given, given Ankalaev the first. But all three judges gave Blahovich the first. So it's a close fight. For this to end in a split draw, I don't think there's any controversy here. I know after the fight, Blahovich came back into the cage during Ankalaev's interview and said, you can give Ankalaev the belt. Very, very disappointed with his performance. But then he came to the back afterwards, was doing an interview, did his press conference and said, I really need to watch this back. I, you know, I was emotional after the fight. Um... You know, he said that he thought Ankalaev won after the fight, but in, in his interviews afterwards, he said, I think I fought well early. I need to really go back and watch before I can say either way. But Jan Blahovic is one of the classiest guys in the sport. I mean, if you can watch my interview with him, I posted the entire thing on Twitter. It's also on tsm.ca slash UFC. You can see just how classy this guy is after the situation. As You know, subsequently on social media, he... Maybe took a little shot at Ankalaev and said this guy's crying after the fight. You know, I, I left with my head held high sort of thing. But talking to Ankalaev backstage, he was just heartbroken. He looked like they had taken everything he's worked for in his career. He was devastated. It was hard to interview him, honestly, because you could tell he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to answer questions. And um, he also found out the big news, which I have not yet mentioned. UFC 283, next month in Brazil, was lacking a a main event. It was TBD versus TBD on UFC.com for a while. And then this past weekend started getting advertised as UFC 283, Figueredo versus Moreno 4. It's their fourth fight together. That was the main event. But the UFC calls an audible after that main event. Glover Teixeira wanted to face Ankalaev in Brazil or Boahovich at 282. But... Of course, Blahovich and Ankalaev end up fighting. They end up pivoting to Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill for the vacant title. You got the former champion in Glover. You got up and comer, seventh ranked Jamal Hill, who was supposed to be facing Anthony Smith in March. Apparently, Smith finds out from Jamal Hill that he's going to be off of that fight and he's going to be facing Glover. And not only that, Jamal Hill asks Anthony Smith if he'd be willing to come and train with him for Glover because Smith has fought Glover before. I mean, I feel terrible for Anthony Smith. I mean, Anthony Smith doesn't have a whole lot of options now. But, you know, one fight that I would like is Anthony Smith versus Paul Craig in London. I like that idea, but I, I don't know uh, what Paul Craig's health is. I know he had a bad injury in his last fight. But personally, I think that uh, Anthony Smith gets the short end of the, the stick here. But... We've got Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill. I believe Hill's a small favorite, despite being ranked 7th. And Glover, and Ariel Hawani brought this up on his show, and I think that this is a very, very astute observation. If Glover wins the title, who's to say he doesn't relinquish it on the spot and say, I'm done. I'm leaving with my head held high in my home country. Going to Brazil. Win the championship back. And I'm going to retire as the champion. And then you got a vacant title again. And there's been more vacant titles, or I don't know if it's more or as many. I think it's, once that rolls around in January, I believe 
there's going to be have been more fights for the vacant light heavyweight championship than having a defending champion since John Jones relinquished the title back in 2020, which is just an unbelievable stat. Unreal. It's either as I think it might be as many as the title defenses because you had Blahovich defend against Israel, then you had uh, Blahovich defend against Glover, and then you had Glover defend against Yuri. So that's three, and then we had Blahovich versus Reyes, which was for the vacant title, and now Blahovich and Ankalaya. Yeah, so it'll be three and three. It's unbelievable. This division since John Jones has left has had as much turbulence as a. As a flight through a storm. So here we are. And now we have a brand new vacant championship bout that was made minutes after the last one. Unreal. So in Brazil, first pay-per-view of the year, I believe it's January 21st in Rio, the return to Brazil. Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill is your headliner. Co-main, Figueiredo versus Moreno 4. Made the card a lot better, I'll tell you that much. The card needed a little bit of an infusion of talent, and they got it. So that's where we're at right now with the light heavyweight division. It's a pretty interesting state of affairs. Very interesting state of affairs. So in terms of the scorecards there, like, I can see it being a split draw. That doesn't, like, I mean, obviously I can't see it being a split draw. That's, of course, what the outcome was. But I can see it being a very close fight. I I think all three scorecards have merit. Now... Let's move down to where the real controversy came out. That was Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon. Pulling that scorecard up now, too. So, Patty Pimblett defeats Jared Gordon via unanimous decision, 29-28 on all scorecards, but not all scorecards are the same. Two of them are the same. Doug Crosby and Ron McCarthy both had it. Scored round one and round two for Pimblett, round three for Gordon. Chris Lee has it scored round one for Gordon, rounds two and three for Pimblett. Of those three scorecards, Chris Lee's, I believe, is by far the most accurate. Now, my only issue that I have with this fight, you know, you have people calling it robbery. I think Ariel called it one of the worst robberies in UFC history. Far from it. Like, I just, I just watched it. I just watched the fight back. And I scored it the same way as I did on fight night. I gave Gordon's, Gordon rounds one and two, and I gave Pimblet round three. Even though Pimblet said that was the round that he took off. But let me explain. First off, I think that Crosby and McCarthy are dead wrong for scoring that first round for Pimblet. Like, I think if you go back and watch that, unless you thought that there was one part where Gordon kind of stumbled, and I don't know if it was a slip or not, Unless you really, really put a lot of emphasis on that. I just don't see how you can have a scorecard for Pimblet in that first round. It just makes no sense to me. So that one was a total head-scratcher. And then, round two, I thought, was extremely close. Like, I watched it back, and it was like one strike, probably, in favor of Gordon in terms of, like, the damage. Maybe. Like, you can make a very good case for Pimblet winning that round, and I wouldn't stop you. And then the third round, this is the one. The, this is, I thought the first round was the easiest round to score. I thought the third round was the second easiest round to score. And we had two judges giving the first round to Pimblet, and two th- judges giving the third round to Gordon. I thought that Pimblet 
clearly won the third round. I think the only damage that Gordon did in that whole round was that first takedown, Patty kind of landed on his face. Like, that's the only real damage that he did in that round. It's not any pitter-patter shots. It took him two minutes into the fight, to la- into the third round to land a big, sh- a big shot. He controlled the round, but in the criteria, you're looking at damage. When he's trying to take Patty down, Patty's landing elbows. He's landing shots to the stomach. He's landing knees. I personally thought that was a pimplet round. So if you're looking at this from, is this a robbery territory? And again, I just watched this. I watched it on the night of with no commentary because I'm in the backstage area. I can't really hear the commentary. Watched it with the commentary this time, which I think was skewed a lot towards Gordon. But personally, I, I can see this being a close fight. I still would maintain that it's a 29-28 for Gordon personally. First round, second round. But I can see how someone would score the second round for Pimblet. In fact, all three judges scored for Pimblet, which... Listen, I mean, again, a close round. I'm not going to... This is the, one of the problems with people when they see a fight and they, they think that the other person won. In a close round, people are like, I can't believe all three judges gave it to Pimblet. But if it's a close round, maybe all three judges gave it to him by a hair. Like, you can't argue that. But the, but the first round scorecard for Pimblet, I think, is a bad scorecard. I, I don't use bad scorecard very often. And I actually think the third round for Gordon, I wouldn't call it a bad scorecard, but I don't think, it, I don't think you can back it with the criteria. Like, I don't think you can look at that and be like, mm, the criteria suggests that he won that round. Because you're looking at control versus actual damage. And I think that Patty actually landed some moderately damaging strikes in the third versus Gordon just trying to control. But I would give Gordon rounds one and two again, like just having watched it. But again, round two, close. So here's my final verdict on... This fight, not a robbery. However, if you're going to score the the fight for Pimblet, the only rounds you can give him are two and three. I don't think you can give him the first round. I thought that was the easiest round to score of the whole fight. And that's why I think a lot of people are shocked. Although people were shocked as soon as the decision was, was announced. So, you know, I feel for Jared Gordon because I think that uh, more people thought that he won that fight than... Than not, so he probably feels pretty disappointed. And uh, you know, I kind of feel for Patty Pimblet because I think he's getting harassed here about, you know, people are. Uh, here's here's the other thing that a lot of people I think are ridiculous about. After the fight, Patty says, "I think I won the, that fight." He's in the fight. Like he's not watching it like you are on TV. You can't say, "Oh, the guy's delusional." He's in there. Like he knows how, how much damage he's taking. He knows how those strikes feel. He knows how much he's putting into his strikes. You can't say that he's delusional for thinking he won the fight if he's in the fight. Like, again, he's not watching it on TV. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's my verdict on it. I don't think it's a robbery. I think it's a rather close fight, to be honest. But I do think that the first round scorecard for Pimblet is just a not a good scorecard. And uh, two of the judges had it scored that way. And Chris Lee, who gets flack from everybody all the time, but having bad scorecards, actually, I think, had it scored better than anybody else. So there it is. That's, that's my take on this fight, is that robbery is a bit of an overreaction, but that the first round should not have been scored for Pimblet under any circumstance. And then we get to the other narrative of this particular fight, which is Doug Crosby being one of the judges about 24 hours after, he scored Danny Sabatello 
versus Ralphion Stotts, a fight that Stotts won by split decision. Stotts had 48-47 Stotts, 48-47 Stotts, and then Crosby submits an asinine scorecard of 50-45 to for Zabatello. The only way you can rationalize a 50-45 for Sabatello is if you're using the old criteria. And Doug, and Doug Crosby is one of the oldest judges around. Like, he's, in terms of tenure, he's been around for a long time. But the only way you can make a case that Sabatello won that fight is if you're looking at the old criteria. If you're, like, really basing it on control. But as a result of Doug Crosby basically flying from Uncasville, Connecticut, however you get to... I don't know what airport he would go to. Maybe he went home and then went to New York, flew out of New York the next morning. But adjusting to a time change, like this is another point that Ariel brought up on his show. Adjusting to a time change and trying to watch a fight with a clear head at the equivalent of, you know, midnight or whatever it is, Eastern time, after you're traveling across the country. That's not putting a judge in the position to succeed. And I'm very, very concerned about Doug Crosby being given this assignment as a whole. Not to mention my concerns about Doug Crosby as a whole. Because Doug Crosby, if you've been following MMA for a long time, back in 2015, made a couple of appearances on Chael Sonnen's show where he just sounded like he was, like, rambling. Just saying complete and utter nonsense. To a point where Chael actually said to him, like, what is this interview? What are we doing here? I couldn't find the audio from those two particular podcasts back in 2015. However, he did reappear on Chael's podcast in 2017. And I was able to find the audio. And if you're listening to this audio, you're thinking like, how can this guy be a judge? First off, in one of them, he completely rips Nick Lembo, who for a time was like the head of the ABC, if I'm not mistaken. Right there, the commission should have said, well, this guy's a loose cannon. He's He compared Nick Lembo appointing Ricardo Almeida as a judge, to people turning their cheek to the Nazis in World War II. Like he said, oh, you know, there's so many conflict of interest with Ricardo Almeida. Not to mention that Doug Crosby has conflict of interest from his time as, which he continues to be, a stunt coordinator where he's worked with fighters and coaches in the past. In fact, one of them, one of these conflict of interest and situations, was involving Ray Longo. And Ray Longo having an issue with Doug Crosby, and Doug Crosby subsequently judging Ray Longo's athletes' fights. First off, how many judges at a high level have these kind of conflict of interest that you hear about? Like, if there's a conflict of interest, you hear about it. You can't find any... In fact, I talk to a lot of coaches, and they're like, I can't, I can't talk to the judges. I never get a chance to talk to them. We never get to meet them. We never get to have a face-to-face with them. That's the way it should be. These judges should be anonymous. They shouldn't have any ties with any of these camps. I know mixed martial arts is a pretty small universe, but we have like stories about Ray Longo talking about having issues with this judge, personal issues, and he was still able to judge fighters that train under Ray Longo. That's a massive problem. So to have him fly across the country and judge this fight between Patty Pimblett and Jared Gordon, and I don't know if Crosby has any issues because Crosby's New York-based, with any of the ju- any of the coaches that, that Gordon came up under. I don't know. I'd have to ask Jared about that, but I, I have no idea. That's the, like, it's concerning. I don't even want to talk about that particular part of it, because that's almost irrelevant whether or not there's a conflict of interest with Gordon, because the fact of the matter is he shouldn't be traveling across the country 
and then sitting cage side after submitting one of the worst scorecards we've ever seen. Like that's a that's a really bad that 50-45 for Sabatello is a really bad scorecard based on the criteria. Really bad. In fact, I don't think Sabatello would agree that he'd won all five rounds. I'll be talking to him tomorrow. And I can pick his brain on that a little bit, but I mean And here's the other thing that I noticed today. During the entire duration of Bob Bennett running the Nevada State Athletic Commission, aside from like once or twice at the beginning of his tenure, which started in April 2014, maybe a couple times, his last ever, wouldn't say last ever, but the last time he judged in Nevada during Bob Bennett's tenure was July 5th, 2014. And he returned one month before Bennett officially resigned. And Jeff Mullen took over. And now, we have a, a judge who a lot of people have had issues with in the past, who's spoken out against Nick Lembo, who's uh, the head of a commission. He's going to be calling the big events again in Vegas after a hiatus of more than seven years. Like, we, he's back. So why? Why is he now back in the mix? You'd have to ask the Nevada State Athletic Commission about that. Maybe Jeff Mullen likes him. It's all politics anyways. All of this is politics. It's how you get assignments in the first place a lot of the time. It's why you see a lot of commissions put their own people in. The local judges. Because they've earned their keep. They've, they've done their time. And that's okay. I'm not against that. I have mentioned in the past that I do wish that a lot of those local judges would be paired with the Chris Lees, the Sal D'Amato's, the Ron McCarthy's of the world, some of the more tenured and respected judges. But I've spoken to so many people that have nothing good to say about Doug Crosby. I can't name names. I won't name names. But I have a really, after, after taking that course with the ABC, I have a, a, a big degree of respect for what these judges do because it's not easy and having taken the courses having met a lot of these officials i hold them in high esteem i really do and i mean that's why you won't hear me going after any sort of judges by name because i think you know sometimes you make mistakes sometimes you um put in a scorecard that maybe you would go if you could go back and change it you would and that's fine that's human nature but to see a judge who has had time and time again not to mention that he's talked about, like, if you read the piece that Chuck Mindenhall wrote years ago for MMA Fighting, he talks about how a fight is like a, he's talking about it like almost like it's a performance to play. And you gotta, you gotta judge the fight and you, you have to take the, the round prior into account. You shouldn't be thinking of each round as a blank slate. That's not what they're taught in the judging courses. I mean, I've taken the judging course. So a lot of his methodology that he talks about publicly, again, with Chuck Mindenhall, is counterintuitive to how fights are supposed to be judged. And it just seems like sometimes he goes rogue, he just judges it based on how he's feeling that day. I don't know that for a fact, but I mean, based on the Sabatello 50-45 card, I mean, there's really no other explanation. And uh, there's been a bit of fallout regarding that. Um, You had Mike Mazzulli put out a statement uh, this week, uh, today, that Doug Crosby is now under review. But I want to read through this because I, I think that uh, there's something that's... There are a couple of things that are interesting here. 
So here's the, here's the statement. In the last Bellator event, December 9th, 2022, there was a controversy in the Sabatello versus Thoughts fight. After reviewing the fight, three rounds of the five rounds were extremely close, and the other two were marginally close rounds. One judge had Sabatella winning all five rounds, which is controversial, but ultimately Stotts won the decision, which is the correct result. In an effort to make this a learning moment, I've informed all three judges we will be reviewing the fight together. Which, first off, you're supposed to be doing that anyways after an event. So was that not done after the Bellator event? Let me continue. This is a very serious situation. The Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department always looks out for the best interest of all fighters. In the past, the Mohegan Tribe Athletic Commission, uh, Department has sanctioned officials that are not performing to the level that is required. Such sanctions, when they occur, are not made public. So, I quoted this statement and said, even though these sanctions are not made public, keep an eye on whether Doug Crosby is, is judging Bellator events going forward, because those are the ones that are overseen mostly by Mr. Mazzulli, who is also the head of the ABC. That's the part that's interesting to me is what's going to happen from here. Are they going to give Doug a, you know, bench Doug for a little bit? The fact of the matter is, if you're looking at the criteria, there's no way you can look at that fight based on the criteria and give it at 50-45 to Sabatello. There's just no way. You can go round by round with me and sit there and say, okay, and, and try to justify it. And I don't think you'll be able to. I really don't. So we'll see what ends up happening with this situation. Or maybe we won't because it's not going to be public anyways. But by him saying one judge had Sabatello winning all five rounds, which is controversial, but ultimately Stotts won the decision, which is the correct result. I'm not even sure if I agree with that. Like I, I remember after the fight thinking that was a really close fight. I think you can make a case Sabatello won. I'd have to go back and watch it a little bit more carefully, but I don't know if it was a slam dunk. I don't think people are mad, would be mad if Sabatella won, but I, you know, if it was 48-47 across the board, but the 50-45 is just incredulous. Nobody understands it. Nobody. And this is one of the big problems is when you have a scorecard like this, this is when you need to have public meetings where the judges have to, it doesn't need to necessarily be, need to be to the media. They don't need to take questions from the media like people always say, oh, take questions from the media. I get why that is especially on the night of an event, is not necessarily the best course of action. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with it. I think that it would be helpful, especially if there was a lead official that was able to come out after the event and take some questions. But if you're going to have public hearings, replay the fight and have the judge go moment by moment and explain, or, or even at the end of each round, explain why they gave that round to that fighter. Because we need to see the methodology here. Because personally, I don't think it's rooted in criteria. I don't. And that's what makes this such a frustrating situation for so many people involved, including officials, who now everybody's like, oh, the judges are incompetent, and everybody always piles on the judges. They're incompetent. The funny thing is, this is after the Pimblet fight, not even after the Sabatello fight, which is the real egregious scorecard. But oh, the judges, they don't know what they're doing. They're incompetent. We need to change everything. The criteria as it is right now mo works for the most part. I've been a proponent of the half-point system. I've talked about it as ad nauseum. It would be 10 to 9 and a half, 10 to 9, 10 to 8 and a half, 10 to 8, 10 to 7 and a half, 10 to 7. But people don't like the way that decimals sound. They don't like that. You know, if you were to do, you know, we scored this contest 10 to 9 and a half. They think that sounds silly. And then there's also the 
really difficult part about doing math of decimals. Like, we didn't learn that in grade 5. But I'm not here demanding change. Like, I, I think that the key here is we need to look at this, this particular situation. We have to understand why a judge flew all the way across the country to judge another card. Maybe that's protocol. Maybe that's okay. Maybe there are judges that are assigned fights on back-to-back -back nights in different parts of the country in different time zones. Maybe that's something that's happened before. I don't know. I'd love to find out. I should ask some judges if they've ever had to do that. But for him to get that assignment one day after not only... Because, listen, if I'm, if I'm Jeff Mullen and I see that he's put in this 50... You know, a lot of the, the point of these commission executive directors is to make sure that their commission looks like they're doing things properly with protocol. And if you see that Doug Crosby just put out one of the most controversial scorecards of the year the night before and he's assigned for your event, a bigger event, the next night, you get on the phone and you say, hey, Doug, we're good for UFC 282. We'll hit you up next time we need you for an event. We saw that you just did Bellator. You know, we just don't think that it makes sense for you to do it two days in a row. Get some rest. We'll call you next time. I'm shocked that they would let him get on that airplane and that same day, or like the day out, 24 hours later, to score fights again in a different time zone after a five-hour flight or whatever it is from wherever he came from. I would hope it's from New York where he has a direct flight. I'm hoping he's not flying out of like Hartford or something. And there's no, I, I mean, I don't know what the flight schedule is. I shouldn't necessarily speculate on that. But either way, it's a long flight. I mean, I came from Toronto to Las Vegas. It's a long flight. It's five hours. So that's why this is a big story. Because there's, a, there's just a lot of things going on here that make it seem like a better job could have been done. And man, we talked about those two fights for a very long time. So let's talk about the rest of the card, shall we? Because the judges weren't needed for any of these fights. Santiago Ponzinibbio defeats Alex Morono. TKO, third round, he was losing that fight pretty handily. Tags Morono with a big shot. I think Morono honestly just ran out of gas. I mean, he didn't have a fight camp. Took the fight on short notice. I think, you know, he was breathing kind of heavy. And Morono's a guy that usually has great cardio. Didn't look like he was in fantastic shape. It's a 180-pound catch weight. He's usually pretty small for welterweight. He actually looked pretty big in this fight compared to Ponzinibbio, who was expecting to fight at 170 pounds. So um, after Robbie Lawler pulls out, they bring Morono on. Ponzinibbio is thrilled. He gets, to continue. he gets to fight again. It doesn't have to cut much weight. In fact, he said he was pretty much already on weight when he found out about the fight. Goes and enjoys the Brazil game. Maybe not enjoys because they lost, but goes and watches the Brazil game. Shows up at the end of weigh-ins knowing that he has time. And then third round, midway through the third round, just tags Morono and just shuts him down. Great win for Santiago Ponzinibbio, especially to see him come back from nearly being finished in that fight on multiple occasions. Drikas Duplessis defeats Darren Till. This was a great fight and was actually fight of the night. You know, a lot of people are talking about Darren Till. I oh, should retire now. He's, you know, he's not the same. I thought he showed a ton of heart in this fight. I thought that was a gutsy performance. Duplessis outlanded him 60 to nothing in significant start, strikes to start that round. 60 to nothing in significant strikes. And an official probably could have stopped, like different officials probably would have stopped that fight, but credit to Darren Till. 
Whenever the ref asked to show him to show something or to defend himself, he did everything the ref asked of him. He gave the thumbs up. He was defending himself. He was moving when the ref said move. He was doing everything that was asked of him to stay in that fight. So I don't think that fight should have been stopped in the first round. I think it could have been stopped. I don't think it should have been stopped. I think Darren Till did what was asked of him. Second round, Duplessis comes in flat. And Darren Till takes advantage. He starts to land big strikes. I don't know if he was ever close to finishing Duplessis, but Duplessis was certainly huffing and puffing, and that was a difficult round for him. But Darren Till apparently tore his ACL at some point in that fight. It might have been the first round or second round. I don't know. And then the third round comes around. Driguez Duplessis takes him down, gets a face, a face crank on him, and Darren Till taps out. Nowhere to go. Torn ACL. Just had nothing left. So kudos to Darren Till for a gutsy performance, honestly. I think that uh, it spoke a lot to his character as a fighter. I think we'll see him again, but he is injured and uh, now taking some more time off. And it seems like the injury bug's caught up with him. The problem with Darren Till is that, you know, he was on a roll when he joined the UFC. He... Knocked out Cowboy Cerrone. Took that fight on short notice in Poland. Knocked out Cowboy Cerrone. Then, you know, he his profile really got raised up. Ended up facing Wonderboy Thompson in Liverpool. In the main event. Tons of pressure on him. Big pressure spot. Unfortunately, misses weight. Second time he missed weight in the UFC in four fights. So, or sorry, five fights. Six fights. Six fights, sorry. Six fights. But ends up getting the job done. Wins a unanimous decision against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Close, close fight, but gets the nod. Then in the next fight, they put him up against the champ, Tyron Woodley. And Tyron Woodley takes him to school. Takes him to school, no lunch, no recess, just detention. Ends up getting a Bravo choke in the second round. Retains the title. I don't think he won again at all after that fight, but... Yeah, I mean, and then Till decides he's moving up to middleweight. Oh, no, sorry. He fought one more time at welterweight. Got knocked out by Jorge Masvidal. Another hometown kind of appearance in London, close to his hometown of Liverpool. Gets finished by Jorge Masvidal in brutal fashion. First time he'd been knocked out in his career. And only time, still to date, that he'd been knocked out in his career. Ends up getting another close fight against Kelvin Gastelum. Gets the nod there. And that's a big win for him because Kelvin Gastelum had fought for the title fairly recently at middleweight uh, for the interim title. Elevates his profile. Ends up fighting Robert Whitaker, who I believe was ranked number one at the time. And fights him pretty close. Hurts him in the first round. Looks good. And this is where things start to go off the rail. He loses a rear naked choke submission to Derek Brunson. Was favored in that fight. Brunson took him down. Exposed him on the ground. Got the choke. Brunson's not really known for submissions and uh, ends up finishing Till. And then he decided to take a bunch of time off, got injured as well. Went to Thailand, did a camp there. Duplessis, not a great matchup for him. And I thought, given the circumstances, he did pretty well. But it's back to the drawing board for Darren Till. He's 1-5 in, in his last six. But again, you look at the opponents. Woodley, who was the champion at the time. Jorge Masvidal, who was on the come up and, and had that crazy win over Askren months later. Win over Gastelum. Whitaker, I think most people would say... Talent-wise, one of the easily top three in the division, maybe top two. Brunson, tough out. That, that's kind of, I think, the turning point for him here. A fight that I think a lot of people thought he should have won. And then Duplessis was on the rise. 
Duplessis has not yet lost in the UFC. Wins his fourth straight. And you know, started his career four and one, but since then, basically has only lost once. It was to Roberto Soldich, who is considered one of the best fighters outside of the UFC. So uh, we'll see if Darren Till can bounce back from this, but it's going to take some time. Most impressive performance of the night has to go to Ilya Topuria. Facing Bryce Mitchell, who technically has one loss on his record according to the UFC, but officially is undefeated. And Topuria just pieced him up. Everywhere that fight went, Topuria did really well. Since then, Bryce Mitchell has uh, come out and said he had the flu. He probably shouldn't have fought. But the result is the result. And Ilya Topuria absolutely decimates Bryce Mitchell. And he is one to watch. You should just forget about this him and Patty Pimblett thing. Like, that ain't going to happen. There's no chance they match Patty Pimblett up with Ilya Topuria. That would not end well for Patty, in my opinion. Topuria looks like the real deal, man. And, you know, there are certain fighters that I interview where I stand next to them and they have a certain energy about them, a certain intensity, a certain, you know, intangible. And Ilya Topuria has that. When I talk to him, you can tell he's got a real growth mentality. He's really deeply, deeply dedicated to becoming a champion one day. You can get that vibe just from standing next to him and talking to him. He's still only 25 years of age. Will turn 26 on the night of UFC 283. Still super young, super talented, undefeated. Sky is the limit for Ilya Topuria. He's great on the ground, great on the feet, well-rounded mixed martial artist. And also, his English has really improved since he came to the UFC. Can carry a conversation no problem. Used to use a translator. Um, so just and when I said to him at the top, I, at the end of our interview, actually, he said, that, "I said your English is 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 really um, going. You know, it sounds great." Uh, that sentence that I just said didn't sound great, but he said, I need to work on that. I need to work on that. He's still growth mentality. Kudos to Ilyoto Puri, a fantastic win. Another massive highlight on this card, Raul Rosas Jr., recently turned 18 years of age, destroys Jay Perrin. First round, face crank submission, two minutes and 44 seconds into the first round. Spectacular performance for someone so young to come into a full T-Mobile arena. And to get a win like that is not much more to say other than just wow. Wow. And, you know, I heard Luke Thomas talk about, um, you know, what's his ceiling? And how Luke said, I don't know. Well, his ceiling is best fighter ever. I mean, he's 18 years old. I mean, that's the ceiling, technically. I mean, but how good is he actually going to get? Based on what we're seeing now, for him to be this good at 18 years old, if they slowly move him up against competition in the bantamweight division and they build him and build him, he's going to be a contender. If if this if what we're seeing right now is you know how he's going to play, you know how it's going to play out. He's moved to Vegas, so he's getting better training now. He's, you know, able to use the PI, able to get on the, you know, nutrition program. I I think that Raul Rosas Jr is is going places. He is really really good. Jarzinho Rosenstreich defeats Chris Dawkins in 23 seconds. Heartbreaker for Chris Dawkins. I mean, Chris Dawkins came into the UFC, won four in a row, all by knockout. Now he's lost three in a row. Lost to Lewis, Blades, and Rosenstreich, losing to the top 10 guys. Able to beat guys outside of the top 10. 
But when he got got to a certain level, he's just not able to do it, and uh, it's unfortunate for him. I think that he's a really, really talented guy. Has fantastic boxing. You know, Rosenstreich is the third win for him that lasted less than 30 seconds in the UFC. Guy's got big power, and he showed it after he's starting to be a little bit more methodical in his career. Now brought that power back, gets Dawkins out of there in 23 seconds. It was a real pleasure to meet Chris Dawkins uh, at weigh-ins, uh, the ceremonial weigh-ins. He, you know, seemed really happy to meet me. I'd interview him a couple times before. I got to meet his brother Kyle, who I think really highly of. Good dudes, and I, I hope that both of them can turn it around. You know, Kyle coming off the loss of his own last weekend. Edmund Shabazian, speaking of turning it around, defeats Dolce Lungembula, and Edmund, he's another guy that started off his career on a roll. Won four in a row, three of them by first-round knockout. Then he got that push into the upper echelon of the division. Lost to Derek Brunson, lost to Jack Hermanson, lost to Nasruddin Imavov. And now they've matched it up against uh, Dolce Lungembula, kind of start him, start him over, see what he's got. He gets a second-round TKO over Lungembula. And uh, it was great speaking with him afterwards because you know, he's got just a, an infectious personality, great smile. Nice to see him back on the winning track. He left... Of course, Glendale Fight Club under uh, Coach Edmund Tarverdian. Uh, mostly, of course, known for being Ronda Rousey's trainer. Also was managed by Ronda Rousey, no longer managed by Ronda Rousey, now managed by Dominus MMA, now training at Extreme Couture. Seems like uh, he has gone in a different direction in his career, and uh, it has paid off in this fight. So Edmund Shabazian with a big win. Chris Curtis, speaking of big wins, Defeats Joaquin Buckley. One of the few underdogs to get a win on this uh, card. Might be the only one, actually. Gets the win over uh, Joaquin Buckley in spectacular fashion. And Chris Curtis just loves fighting. He loves it. He's on Twitter chatting with people all day. He's doing commentary. He's training. He's sparring with everybody. You gotta love this second win that his career has had after having a bit of a rough go, retiring after his PFL tenure. Now back in the UFC and beating a lot of really high-quality guys. Wins so far against Phil Haas last year. That was last November, so this is just about a year's time. Defeats Phil Haas, defeats Brendan Allen, defeats Rodolfo Vieira, loses to Jack Hermanson, which is the one he wants back, but he took that fight on very short notice, and then beats Joaquin Buckley by knockout. And Joaquin Buckley, as uh, he's been knocked out four times, Chris Curtis, Alessio DeShirico, Kevin Holland, and uh, someone in his uh, early in his career. An Israeli guy, Jackie Gosh. I think he's Israeli. If I was in Tel Aviv. But man, Chris Curtis is on a roll. He's won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of his last ten. And uh, that was coming off three straight losses to Magomed Magomed Karimov twice and Ray Cooper the third. So, I mean, tough, tough guys. The best the best of the welterweight division in PFL has to offer. So, good on him. He's really turned his career around. His first win of that win streak is against a gentleman named Darren Smith Jr., who will be fighting for Unified on Saturday. And I got to speak with Darren Smith Jr. You can hear that in the interview edition later this week. He's in the main event. I'm actually going to be on the broadcast team for Unified 48. It's Darren Smith against Shane Campbell, former UFC fighter Shane Campbell. So kudos to Chris Curtis, who earned a bonus, as did every other fighter that got a finish on this card, except for Drikas Duplessis, who got fight of the night. So they didn't they didn't double him up. 
the early prelims, Billy Quarantillo basically did exactly what he told me he was going to do when I spoke to him on Friday. He said, I'm, I know that Alexander Hernandez is going to come out hot and heavy in the first. I just need to get through the first, and then I'm going to be able to just... He's going to be tired. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to finish him. I'm going to drown him. And that's exactly what he did. Four minutes and 30 seconds into the second round. Billy Quarantillo with a TKO against Alexander, the great ape, Hernandez. And now uh, Quarantillo, in his UFC career, improves to 5-2. and two. But this is uh, the best win of his career, I would say, so far. And he looked great. You know, Billy Quarantillo is one of these guys that's kind of disarming. Like, you talk to him, he's got a great smile, nice kid, you know, doesn't seem super intense. But then when he's in the cage, he's an absolute killer. I love the energy of that guy. He's just a, he's a great dude. Love interviewing him, talking to him. TJ Brown defeats Eric Silva, arm triangle choke, and Cameron Simon, 21-year-old from South Africa, defeats Stephen Coslow late in the third. Fight might have been trending towards a draw as well. But uh, ends up getting the win there. So uh, congrats to him. There's another sellout for the UFC. That Their streak continues. I was worried the, stri- the streak might be in jeopardy. But alas, it was not. Bellator 289. Quick recap um, of the main card here. I didn't get to see the prelims, unfortunately. But uh, I did get to see the main card. I was at the uh, sportsbook at the Aria. Ariel Hawani was nice enough to host uh, a watch party there. I think um, that was a, a nice thing. And got to see a lot of my colleagues there. So that was cool. Got to enjoy some pizza. And some Bellator. Ralphie Onstotz defeats Danny Sabatello. We talked about this fight earlier. 45, sorry, 50-45 for Sabatello. 48-47, 48-47 for Stotts, who retains the interim bantamweight championship. And uh, I felt bad for Sabatello. And, and you know what? When he was talking about it after the fact, they did a press conference. He was saying, um, you know, what should I have done? Taken him down and landed some pitter-patter shots? Is that going to sway the judges? Yeah, I can, I can cheat the judges? It's like, yeah. That is what you're supposed to do. And, and that's what I kind of want to talk to him about is like, yeah, that's what the judges are looking for, man. They're not looking for you to hold someone in place because they just consider that to be a change in position. I, I don't know. It seems to me that a lot of fighters are not super informed when it comes to how fights are scored. Because if Sabatella thought he won all five of those or at least four rounds, like, but he's not landing any strikes, that's a problem. And I thought it was a really close fight. I thought that... Uh, I'd have to go back and, and try to remember who, who did what and what round. But I thought Sabatello, if I recall, won the first. Uh, I don't want to get into it. I can't remember what happened in what round. So I don't, I don't really want to speculate um, or, or try to re- revisit it when I can't remember. Um, either way, big win for Ralphie on Stotts. He will face Patchy Mix in the final. Patchy Mix defeats Magomed Magomedov. Patchy Mix just looks better and better every fight. I think people forget how good this guy is. That's going to be an awesome main event. Patchy Mix and uh, Ralphie and Stotts. Stotts trains in Houston, but uh, Eric Nixick comes down and helps him out where Patchy Mix actually trains at Extreme Couture, but not under Eric Nixick. So there's a little bit of overlap there, but I don't believe the two of them have ever uh, sparred or trained or anything together. Uh, Stotts predominantly in, in Houston. So anybody who's thinking about, uh, oh, these guys are teammates, not really. Not, it wouldn't be like if Stotts fought Sergio Pettis, which is how it's trending right now. He's going to have to beat Patchy Mix, but yeah. Patchy Mix looks fantastic, though. That guy is really good on the ground. And Liz Carmouche defeats Juliana Velasquez. She just looked like a different fighter in this one. She dominated this fight. 
and uh, puts Velasquez away with an armbar in the second round. And uh, Dalton, Dalton Ross defeats uh, Anthony Adams to open up the main card. Big upset on this card also in the prelims. Pat Downey was like a minus 1,100 favorite and lost to Christian Eccles in devastating fashion in the first round. Got upper, took some big uppercuts. Yeah, that, uh, that train got derailed quickly. You know, these Bellator favorites, they, they win most of the time, but every now and then, every now and then, one of them falls on their face. It happens. And it happened to be Pat Downey in, on this occasion. And that's it. That's Bellator 289. That's UFC 282. And now we move on to UFC Fight Night Cannoneer versus Strickland, which ends the year for the UFC. It'll be followed by, I believe it's four weeks off. So uh, after this week, if you're looking for me, I'm, I'm gone, man. I'm gone. I'm put my phone in a drawer or something. Probably won't do that. I'll probably just be reporting on stories and whatever. You know me. I can't put my phone in a drawer and just relax. Rest on my laurels. Too much going on in MMA all the time. But I'm going to try. I really am going to try. Because this is like... You know how teachers get like whatever... Six weeks off in the summer. Eight weeks off. Whatever it is. I don't know what their professional development stuff is. Or where they have to set up their classrooms. But this is like my teacher's break. I get four four weeks off. Technically only three weeks off. Because then you get into fight week. And you have to start that. But basically... If you look at the calendar, 17th is the last day, and the next card is January 14th. So I'm going to go with my family on vacation to Florida. That'll be nice. But I shouldn't get ahead of myself. Let's let's break this card down, shall we? Jared Cannonier, Sean Strickland, main event. I actually like Strickland here. I think that Strickland will be able to keep this fight on the feet, and I think that he's just going to out-volume Cannonier. I think Cannonier is going to have to not land a, a big knockout blow in order to finish Strickland. It's almost knockout or bust. I, I don't know if we get into a technical fight here. I think Strickland's going to be able to keep Cannoneer a distance and it's going to be a, a tricky one for, for Cannoneer. I don't know if it's Cannoneer favored in that fight. I'd be surprised if he was, but uh, I don't really, can't, don't really know offhand. Yeah, it's even money, basically. Strickland's a very small favorite. I think that's probably the, the correct odds for a fight like that. But I think that Strickland is, uh, I think he's going to be able to outpoint Cannoneer and win a decision, but we'll see. The co-main event is the fight that I'm most looking forward to on this card. Armand Sarukian against Damir Magulov. What a great fight that is. Armand Sarukian is... Uh, I thought he beat Gamrot. And I thought he beat him fairly. I had it 49-46 for Sarukian. And Gamrot ended up getting the decision. That was one of the ones I was most surprised about this year. In terms of scorecards. But uh, Sarukian faces Damir Magulov. Is Magulov a phenomenal technical striker. Great boxer. One of the best... I think has some of the best hands in the in the UFC in terms of technical boxing. Really, really solid. Strong fight. Really happy about that one. Amir Albazi is facing Alessandro Costa. I don't know who he was supposed to be facing. Did someone? Oh, uh, oh. yes, Albazi was supposed to be facing Brandon Royval. Um, and that ended up falling through. So he'll be facing Alexandro Costa. His nickname is Nono. Is he a grandfather? He's someone's, it's got to be someone's grandfather. Oh, he's actually he's not Italian. I, I saw Alessandro. I thought he was Italian. So Nono in Portuguese must mean something different. Only 26 years of age. Got a split decision win on the Contender Series. Was not given a contract. Ended up getting a, a one-punch knockout. I don't know if it was a one-punch, but 12-second knockout in the... Um, Regionals in Mexico for Lux Fight League, where I believe he's the champion, or at least was the LFL flyweight champion. 
course, Sonny with the UFC is probably not, no longer going to be able to defend that championship, but this guy's on a roll. Getting lots of, you know, finishes. He's won seven straight. He's beating good competition. This is an interesting fight. I think Albazi has got to be a big favorite in this one. Um, as he should be, but Alessandro Castro looks looks like uh, he could have a, a good future in the UFC. Gonna have to cut the flyweight on short notice, but uh, either way, good fight. Happy about this one. I think that's a good, uh, interesting replacement for Roy Val. I, I, I always love watching Amir Albazi compete. He's an awesome fighter. Julian Arosa is uh, against uh, Alex Caceres. And this is a fun one, too. Arosa's been on a roll. This is Arosa's, I think, third stint in the UFC? He's making it count. Has won four, uh, five of his last six. Lone loss coming to Sung Woo Choi. But these are good wins. Win over Sean Woodson. I imagine he was the underdog in that one. Definitely big underdog. Win over late, Nate Landwehr was an underdog there. The loss to Choi. Win over Charles Jordan again as an underdog. Big favorite over Steven Peterson. Wins that one. And was a, a sizable underdog against uh, Hakeem Dawadu as well and, and won that one. And that's a big win for him. So Arosa's on a roll right now. And Alex Caceres was on a roll of his own up until recently when he lost to Sadiq Yusuf in his last fight. But prior to that, had won six straight. Against, and one of those wins is against Sung Woo Choi, who uh, defeated Julian Rosa. So if you want to do some MMA math, feel free. I, I won't be doing that. But that's a really fun fight. This is a good card. This card has a lot of really good, especially for an Apex card, a lot of really good matchups, including Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. That's an awesome fight. That is an awesome fight. I'm looking forward to that. Drew, uh, Bobby Green got suspended for uh, a banned substance from USADA, which he says was just like a, a supplement he got at Walmart. <laughs> and it was painted supplements. So I'm surprised that he's going to Walmart and buying substances. In fact, I'm surprised any of these guys are buying supplements that aren't like approved by USADA. Just like, cut out the middleman here. They have a list of USADA-approved supplements. Just take those ones. I'm sure they're better than the Walmart ones. I can't say I'm sure. I don't know. Probably. But uh, Drew Dober taking on Bobby Green, that's a, that's a fun one. I, I don't even know how to predict that one. I would probably, if I had to make a, a straight pick, I'd probably go Dober. But Bobby Green is tough, man. He could easily outpoint Dober in this fight. Not to see. Mikhail Oleksiejczyk staying in the middleweight division, taking on Cody Brundage. It's going to be the wrestling of Brundage against the uh, the, the striking of Oleksiejczyk. Oleksiejczyk has always been one of my favorite guys to watch. He's so much fun. Renat Fakhredinov, I always mess that guy's name up, is taking on Brian Battle on short notice. And Battle is the, the uh, underdog in that one. But Brian Battle has looked great in his UFC career. Wins the ultimate fighter. And I don't think he's lost yet in his UFC career. He's taking a short notice fight, which is always risky. But uh, he, yeah, he'd won uh, three in a row since, uh, well, if you if you look at his entire career, he's won seven in a row. But um, in his UFC career, he's 3-0. Not to mention he beat uh, Andre Petrovsky on the Ultimate Fighter in their uh I guess you would call it an exhibition fight. I don't know if that counts against his against uh, Petrovsky's record and counts on Brian Battle's UFC record. Does UFC have him as nine as nine and one? Hopefully, they're going to do the, do uh, Bryce Mitchell that way. 
Cheyenne Blissmas is back. She hasn't fought in uh, about a year. She's taking on Corey McKenna. That's a fun one at uh, a straw weight. We'll see how much Corey McKenna has gotten better, and we'll see how much Shan Blissmas has gotten better. Uh, training out in the in uh, Georgia, uh, not the state, the country, and uh, also back at Extreme Couture for the last little bit. So that should be an interesting fight. Jake Matthews, Matt Semmelsberger, Semi the Jedi. That fight's going to be a banger. That's a fun fight. Jake Matthews looked career best in his last fight. Julian Marquez against uh, Darren Wynn. Oh, actually, sorry, it's Duran Wynn. Duran Wynn. Not pronounced like Darren Williams. This is going to be a big size advantage. How big is Marquez compared to Duran Wynn? Marquez is 6'2", and I believe Wynn is 5'5". Five 5'6". Five. Five That's an 8-inch height advantage. That's massive. But then again, it's nothing that uh, Duran Wynn is not used to in his UFC career. That's a that's a, an interesting matchup. And then we've got the Battle of the Saeeds. Saeed Nurmagomedov against Saeed Yokob Kachromanov. Kachromanov's looked good in his UFC career, and so so Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, you got Mahashati against uh, Rafa Garcia. You've got uh, David Dvorak against Manel Kapp. That's a great fight. It's probably the, the second fight from the from the start. And then you've got Sergey Morozov, who's uh, coming off of, a, of a, an unexpected loss. I think he was favored in that fight. Taking on uh, Journey Newsom. And Journey Newsom's coming off of, uh, I believe he had a win at the pay-per-view earlier this year. Yeah, against Bernie Garcia. That was the uh, Houston card, if I'm not... No, sorry, the Arizona card. About seven months ago. So he's back in action. And that's your card. We've had, according to Tapology, seven of these fights have fallen through. Or uh, we've had withdrawals from seven different fights. So uh, there you have it. That's UFC Fight Night. Cannoneer versus Strickland. The final fight for the UFC of 2021. Or sorry, 2022. And then uh, the only other big card, at least from a North American perspective, um, for a major promotion is uh, Bellator versus Ryzen New Year's Eve. That's a, that's an interesting card. So that's it. There's your breakdown. And uh, there's your show for the most part. You can check out all my work at www.aaron.report. Very excited uh, for you to check out all of my uh, my different work. I'll have the uh, disposable camera photos drop in tomorrow so check out my social media for that and uh, like I mentioned I'm going to be in the broadcast booth for Unified 48 it takes place at the International Center in Mississauga this Friday night so if you are in the area feel free to pop by if you uh, would like to watch it's on UFC Fight Pass I want to thank uh, TSN for giving me the uh, opportunity to work with them. It's a lot of fun. It's a bucket list for me is to be part of a broadcast team. And uh, Unified, I think, in terms of Canadian regionals, probably right at the top. Probably right at the top, especially with their expansion. You know, they were used to doing cards in Edmonton, and now they're going all over Canada. So very excited to be working with them. A great broadcast team, myself, John Ramdeen, who will be doing the uh, the play-by-play, and Mike Malott, who will be doing the X's and O's, and I'll be there to provide some uh, some extra color, context, this, uh, backstory, and all of that. And I'm really excited about it, so would love it if you check that out and uh, give me your feedback. 
So that's it for me. Also, next week, looking to do a, a year-end show like we do every single year with the uh, same roundtable that I had, I believe, the last two years. You have Mark Raimondi, Sean Alshadi, Brian Campbell, and Mike Bond. Star-studded cast. So that'll be coming your way next week. So, until then. Oh, actually, one, one last thing, one last thing, one last thing. Stick with me here. Interview edition of the show will be out uh, on Wednesday. Well, I guess tomorrow. I'm recording this Tuesday night, so this will probably be coming out Wednesday also. So, interview edition will be coming out separately. This is a pretty long show. I wanted to get into a bunch of topics. So, there you have it. Interview edition, wherever you find your podcasts. Who are we going to have on the interview edition? Let's pull up my, uh, my guest list here so that I can uh, give that the old tease. Fighting on this weekend's card. UFC Fight Night. We will have Julian Marquez on the show. Drew Dober, Jake Matthews, and Deron Wynn will all be joining me. And then from the Unified card, I've got the promoter, Sonny Serene, talking about Unified doing three events in 15 days in Canada. That's pretty unbelievable. I can't think of uh, any promotions that have done that in this country before. And I'll also be talking to uh, Smith Jr., who will be headlining the card against uh, Shane Campbell. So, let's try this again. Until then, be well, be kind, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.